0: Thank you for tuning in to the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Welcome to those watching online and those here on site. And can I just tell you, as your pastor, thank you. Man, what do you mean, thank you for your faithful. Thank you for your praying. Thank you for your serving. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for making a difference in our community. You know, the city kind of called us, told us there's some major needs with some disabled people, with the elderly. They said they needed 40 people. I was a little bit nervous yesterday. Are they going to show up? mayor co-op of the city council was there. Everybody was there. And not only did 40 people show up, we had over 50 people show up. Man, you guys went out there with the hands and the feet of Jesus. I want you to see your love and faith in action. Watch the screens. Thank you for being and living out your faith and being the church. Watch your screens. Thank you so much, Freedom Church. You guys are amazing as always. I had 15 houses lined up for you, thinking you'd now come out in about four hours. You did it in two. Uh, As per usual, you guys are amazing. Um, You're the first volunteer team to come out into the streets of the city of Round Rock and help those residents that are elderly, disabled, had a recent surgery, a recent illness, and you guys are the first ones out helping them. And uh, I tell you what, I just really appreciate it. you guys always come through for us huge. You're a huge part of the community, and we couldn't do it without you. So thank you truly from the bottom of my heart. And then all the residents that, uh, that you guys got to speak with today, I'm sure you felt the love from them too. So thank you again, guys. Really appreciate it. Man, isn't that awesome? So cool. Man, uh, we got a chance to pray with people, be the love of Jesus to others. Man, you know, God is moving in our church. He's moving in incredible ways. We broke ground. It's exciting. And you know why he's moving? Because you've been faithful, because you've been obedient, because you prayed, because you served, because you gave. I know last year I gave the uh, challenge, hey, let's finish out the year strong. Let's, uh, Let's put ourselves in a place. Let's believe God will put us in a place to break ground, and we did. And one of the things here at Freedom Church, we were totally open about our financial situation and our books and we want to give you a report and i'm going to share man in the midst of so many years where churches have gone down in giving especially because of covid and the coronavirus we had a record year god did amazing things and we want you to hear from sonia she's going to give out uh, the report this morning also there's a report on your uh, chair so you can go over it if you have any questions talk to us after service
1: all right, all right, let's do this. If, if you don't have one on your chair, you can actually grab one from an empty chair, um, and we can go ahead and move forward. So let's go ahead and go this 2020 annual report and see how God... Um, used you in our area of finances. So you can also follow along on the screen. So right now we have a revenue of last year through tithe and offering $865,457.47. Missions brought in $13,437.08. And camps and conferences, and this is youth camp and this is also ministry conferences that uh, our leadership goes to. Uh, we spent $24,25 there. And then other revenue, which is merchandise sales and facility rental income that we get uh, periodically throughout the year. And so that brought in $6,761.25. And the designated funds for the building fund was $24,486.66. And so that total was $912,567.46. So we'll move down to the next thing, and this is our Sam Bass-related revenue. So this is um, rental income, because if you're new here to Freedom Church, there are a few um, apartments and, and a home that are on our property that where we have tenants there. And so um, we uh, collected for our rental income last year fifty-two thousand nine hundred seventeen seventy, And then our loan draws, and these are draws that we have um, a loan with our district, uh, that we took out to buy, purchase the property. And so this was draws made on the loan with our district to pay the architect and civil engineers that had to do some work last year. So we spent $13,156. And so the total for that was sixty six thousand seventy three seventy. And our total revenue for last year with the uh, revenue from there and the tithing offerings and stuff, was nine hundred seventy-eight thousand six hundred forty-one sixteen. So now we're going to move to the expenses. And this is where we're like, ah, this is where the money goes. All right. So we had our rent. This is for Freedom Church, this location right here. So our rent and facility maintenance um, and the upkeep of this facility was $193,965. Dollars and 11 cents. And now, this is exactly why we want our own facility. So, we're paying our bill and not someone else's. Um, So missions, local and world missions, we spent $40,518.82, ministry-related expenses. And this is where we updated and added equipment and software with the creative arts team and kids check-in and and different areas of ministry last year because we had to move a lot online. So we took that opportunity to upgrade equipment. So $53,959.34, and then general admin, and that's what keeps the office running, the lights on, so on and so forth, We upgraded office equipment and software. So that was $39,856.43. And then the staff and salaries for the pastors and staff, that was $197,712.10. So our total expenses were $526,011.80. Now we're going to move to the San Bass-related expenses. This is the new church property. So our loan costs, which was our payments that we made, um, was $76,362.40. Property taxes and other taxes, um, we had to pay. We sold a portion of the property last year, and we had to pay taxes on it. And we also have to pay property tax. Um, It was $37,708.78. And And then property maintenance expenses, um, which is management fees and maintenance and things like that. Um, $18,601.35, and then payments that we made to contractors was $7,619.25, and that total was $140,301.78. So all of our expense totals, um, ministry expenses, Sam Bass expenses, uh, the total was 666313 58 Well, when you add or subtract that amount to our total revenue, we were actually in the black. So y'all give God the praise for that because we were three hundred and twelve thousand dollars, three hundred and twenty-seven and fifty-eight cents in the black. We were not in the red. Praise God for that. Thank you guys. If y'all have any questions, you can talk to me or talk to Pastor. And we can set up an appointment to, to discuss any questions man, you might have. How
0: amazing is that? This is the biggest year we've ever had, even when we had that $250,000 gift. Man, this year, with it just totally blew that away. How amazing. And because of this, that put us in a place where we could break ground at the beginning of the year. Remember, we were, man, I was always I praying. I told you we were $2 million away from building. Now we're just $300,000 away from building. And God be the glory. You know. I'm just going to get on my knees right now. I'm going to thank God for this because I just, man, it's only him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you, Lord, in the midst of uncertainty in a year of, Lord, which was crazy. You did the impossible. And, Lord, when you build this building and when you do this, you will alone get the glory. It's not going to be the leadership staff. It's not going to be the elders. Lord, you are doing something that no man can steal your glory. And right now, I'm on my knees, and I thank you for what you're doing, Jesus. Amen. Man, isn't that exciting? Yes, I'm excited what God is doing. All right, now we'll get into the word of God. People argue all day long in barbershops and in sports talk radio this question, who is the goat? If you don't know anything about goat in sports, goat is an acrostic that means the greatest of all time. Like they say, who's the goat of the NBA? Some people say it's Michael Jordan, some people say it's LeBron James. How many of you guys say it's Michael Jordan? Raise your hand. Yeah. yeah. How many guys say it's LeBron James? uh. He's from Cleveland. He's from Cleveland. Come on. This should not even be an argument. It's Michael Jordan, right? Like, who's the GOAT of the NFL? Man, I've denied it for a while, but after Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I got to admit, just barely, barely, he barely passed Troy Aikman as the GOAT of the NFL. (laughs) Why are y'all laughing? Aikman was awesome, right? Just barely passed Troy Aikman. We, we love to argue, what's the greatest movie of all time? I, I say Rocky IV. My wife says Sleepless in Seattle. Like, what's the greatest movie, do you think? What's the greatest band of all time? What do you guys think, U2 or is it the Beatles? Or if you're a kid, was it the Wiggles? Remember the Wiggles band back in the day? Striper, oh Yeah. That's old school. Man, we love to rank things as Americans, don't we? We rank schools. We rank restaurants. We rank people according to achievements and categories and their grades. Who's the strongest? Who's the richest? Who's the smartest? Who's the most beautiful? But I want to ask you a question this morning. Other than Jesus, who is the greatest person to ever walk planet Earth? Think about it. Other than Jesus, of course, that's a given. Jesus is always the answer. You ask your kid, what did you learn in church? Jesus, right? <laughs> but other than Jesus, who's the greatest person to walk planet Earth? If you had to pick just one person to learn from their life example, who would you pick? Think about it for a moment. Some people would say Mother Teresa. Others would say Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Lincoln. Others would say Billy Graham or the, even the Apostle Paul. Yet there is one person in the Bible that was called the GOAT by Jesus himself. The greatest person of all time. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, 28. I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. Wow. That's a massive statement. Think about all the heroes in the Bible, all the prophets, all the disciples. Yet, John the Baptist was the goat. The angel Gabriel, before John was born, said this, that he will be great in the sight of God. How awesome if that would be the epitaph of your life, that Dave Maniachi. Jose, Dan was great in God's sight. What, what, did you want, what did you want that to be the goal of your life? This morning, as we continue our study in the Gospel of John, the title of my message is How to Be Great in God's Sight. Who wants to be great in God's sight? Let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us and learn from this amazing man. Father, would you speak to us? As we unwrap, as we unpack your word, Lord, may we see things that we haven't seen before. Would you allow it to come alive? Just say this, God. I want to be great in your sight. Amen. And this morning we will examine the life of John the Baptist in verses nineteen through thirty. We, as they were read in the video, and we will see what made him great. See, John was not a political leader. He's not an athlete. He's not a musician. He's not a fashionable guy with a good diet, and hanging out on 6th Street. He's not wearing all the nice clothes. Like, he actually shops at Goodwill. He has camel hair, smells. He's not eating uh, the best food. The Bible says that he eats honey and locusts. So here's the picture. This smelly dude with honey and locust legs just right there on his beard. He smells like a dirty camel. He, He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have a wife or kids. Like, what kind of life is that? We read, Right? The things that you and I aspire for greatness aren't even on his radar. Yet he had one thing. He had the Spirit of God. John 1.15, Luke 1.15 describes John like this, that he was filled with the Spirit since his mother's womb. That God was at work in the life of John through Holy Spirit power. It's awesome, isn't it? So let's read about him this morning, starting with uh, verse 19. We kind of read over that, but Now, this was John's testimony. One of the things I really appreciate about the gospel of John is John just doesn't make statements about Jesus. He backs up those statements. If you remember last week, he told us exactly who Jesus was. He said Jesus was the word, the eternal God, the creator God. And now John is going to back up his claims by calling a witness to the stand, to to give the same story he is. an is eyewitness it is another John. In the Bible, there are probably nine different Johns. The writer of the Gospel of John was John the Beloved. Now he's calling to our attention and bringing the testimony of a man by the name of John the Baptist. And look what it says. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess. But I love this. But he confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. During John's time. His teachings were going viral. Everybody was following him on TikTok and Facebook. They were fo- he had so many followers. They came for him to be baptized. So the religious leaders of his day come up to John. And they're asking him, who are you, really? And, and this is a good thing. They, they need to know if he's a false prophet or if a teacher. Is he going to lead Israel into idolatry? Because based up until this time, there, had been a, there hadn't been a prophet in 400 years. From the time of Malachi to the time of the New Testament, not a prophet has come on the scene. And notice how he responds in verse 20. I love it. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. One commentator I was reading who was an expert in ancient Greek grammar. I'm not a, I can't even get my way through English grammar, but this guy knows ancient Greek grammar. He says this, the emphasis in verse 20 when he says, I am not the Messiah is implying that somebody else is. He's like implying, I'm not him, I'm not him, but wait, I'm going to introduce him to you later. Later. And they asked him, he says, no, I'm not the Messiah. Verse 21. They asked him, then what then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Why did they ask him if he was Elijah? The Jews remembered that the last prophecy in the Old Testament in the last page of Malachi was the promise that before the Messiah would come, God would send Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who had been caught up to heaven and he didn't die. And when John appears on the scene, 400 years of silence, God's, he starts preaching and it causes a huge stir in Israel. In fact, some first century literature says that more attention was given to the appearance of john the baptist than the appearance of jesus because the first century jews didn't expect any prophets anymore they thought god was done with prophets and all of a sudden in the voice of the will there was this voice in the wilderness and they asked him "Are, are you elijah and he says no i'm not But yet what's interesting jesus says yes he was elijah who's to come so like, how do you reconcile those two statements? John says, I'm not Elijah. Jesus says, yes, you are. As the Bible says it's a reincarnation. No, the Bible doesn't teach about reincarnation. That's not a biblical concept at all. The answer is this. When you find a passage of Scripture that seems difficult, it's a biblical principle that the whole of Scripture isn't... One part of Scripture is interpreted by the whole of Scripture. You've got to look through all of Scripture to figure out what the passage is saying. And when we do that, the conundrum is explained. We are told that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah's ministry was calling a backslid in Israel back to God through repentance. In the same message, that's the same message John the Baptist is. He was calling a backslid in Israel back to repentance in a message of baptism. And Jesus was saying that the ministry of John the Baptist was the same as of Elijah. And it was fulfilled in John the Baptist. So that's just so you could know that. So they kept asking, are you a prophet? He answered, no. So they answered, who are you? Like they're exasperated. The religious leaders need to know. And. We need to give an answer to those who sentence. What do you say about yourself? And I love what he says, verse 23. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Underline that. We'll come back to that later. The next, verse 29. I want you to skip verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. These verses tell us so much about John. See, I want to take you where he's at. He has an entire nation captivated. The national spotlight is in him nobody is more popular than john the baptist but john is not looking for a platform he's not looking for prestige he's not looking for popularity look he is looking for jesus and he points his audience to jesus his life is all about jesus he says i am a voice and if you want to be great you got to make your life all about jesus every financial decision you make is it about jesus every movie you watch is it about jesus everything that you do is it about jesus is your monday about jesus is your tuesday about jesus what made John so great is everything that he did. He didn't, he didn't have the different compartments. It was all about Jesus. And in our culture, we compartmentalize everything. We say, oh, no, no, no. Like, like, we should ask, okay, is this financial decision gonna make me more like Jesus or not? Is this movie I'm gonna watch it gonna make me more like Jesus or not? Are the plans I'm making, is it gonna take me more and make me more like Christ or not? See, his life was a big megaphone screaming Jesus. It was centered on Christ. And this is what made him great. And the only way to live a great life is to make it all about Jesus. Here's John's mission statement. He quotes it in John 3.30. He says, he must increase, speaking of Jesus, and I must decrease. John knew that he had to get smaller so God could get bigger. In his life, I want you to notice four attributes that made his life great in God's sight. First, he had a Christ-centered humi- identity. He had a Christ-centered humility. He had a Christ-centered servanthood. And he had a Christ-centered mission. I'm going to unpack them all for you this morning. First, we're going to look at his Christ-centered identity. John was able to answer the two most important questions you will ever answer. You know what they are? Who is God and who am I? Two most important questions you'll ever answer. Who is God and who am I? It's good to know there's a God and it's not you, isn't it? When you realize that God is in control, you're not. When you realize that God is in control and you're not, you know the pressure comes off. You stop living for selfish purposes and you start living out God's purposes. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says this. Your real self, new self, will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will only come when you're looking for him. You can only, man, it's only when you find the great I am that you figure out who I am. And here's what I want you to know. John the Baptist's life mission was looking for Jesus. And when he found Jesus, he found himself. When they ask him, are you the Messiah? He doesn't respond. I don't know. Maybe I could be. What's the benefit? The temptation for all of us is to really be more than we really are, right? We, we always round up, don't we? We, we add inches to our height. We subtract inches from our weight. If you're a guy, you add inches to your bench press max, your accomplishments on your resume. But look what John said in verse 20. He confessed freely. He, he had no problem. I am not the Messiah. Have you ever been mistaken for somebody really famous? It, it was kind of flat. It's kind of flattering. When I was a young man, people used to say all the time that I looked like the boxer Oscar De La Hoya. I don't know if you remember that. That's before I discovered tacos and bar. I was like, yeah, but my biceps are a little bit bigger. I'm, a, I'm his cousin. As I got older, people told me I look like Ernie from George Lopez show. I don't know if you've seen this. <laughs> I did not like that one as much. It's not that funny. Okay, maybe it is. But it takes a great man to know who you are and who you're not. See, Jesus is trending. He has tons of followers on social media. The advertisement companies are lining up, wanting to capitalize in fame to offer him endorsement deals. Here comes the record company. Here comes the tour manager wanting to take his message and show on the road. And John the Baptist says, I'm not the guy you're looking for. It's like the company coming to you and wanting to offer you the job of CEO. It comes with a massive raise. It comes with great benefits. And you turn it down and you say, no, I know there's someone who is in this company that can run it better than me because i love the company more than i love myself wow could you turn that down one of my mentors and bible teachers from afar once said this statement and i could not forget it he says don't do anything out of need or don't do anything out of need or opportunity only do things that are the will of god most of the frustration and pain in my life and ministry is when i didn't follow that advice and i tried to do things that god didn't will for me In John's time, was there a need for a Messiah? Absolutely. People needed deliverance. Was there a need for a voice to rally Israel? Yes, there hadn't been a prophet in 400 years. But yet John says, that's not God's will for my life. I'm just a voice crying out on the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. See, let me tell you, there's always going to be needs around you. And there's always going to be opportunities. There's a lot of things that you can do. You can get a better job. You can start the business. You can take that opportunity. There's always those different things. But being great in God's kingdoms comes down to answering two questions. First, it's, is this a good opportunity or is this a God opportunity? There's going to be good opportunities all the time. But is it the one God has for you? The second question you got to learn is you got to learn the difference between the voice of the culture and the voice of Christ in your life. Because so many of us, we listen to the voice of culture and we let it shape us more than the voice in the Word of God and let that shape us. See, and what was the voice of the culture telling John? You gotta be a prophet. You gotta be the Messiah. Look at all the perks that come their way. See, the culture tells us three lies about our identity. First lie is the performance lie it says, I am what I've accomplished. Starts out in grade school. You get good grades, or maybe you did well in sports. You get a lot of attention. They pat you in the head, and you feel good about yourself. Oh, yes, I'm a good student. I got perfect attendance. I did well in sports. In the real world, it works like this. I was the top-performing employee in my company last week. I got a raise. I feel good and valued. Oh, We didn't hit our mark last week. We didn't hit our budget. Oh, I suck as a leader. Oh, it's so bad. Right? And we get our performance I ident- kind of caught up with who we are. Isn't it crazy that once we ask someone their name, the next thing we ask is what they do. And if we're not careful, we subconsciously make judgments about them by what they do. This is what the culture teaches us to think. And let me tell you, this area of accomplishing is an area where I've struggled the most in my life. It's an area where I still struggle. If you can pray for me about that. In the, in, as a pastor, people ask me, how big is your church? How many services do you have? Are you doing these things? And many times I have to admit that I get caught up in the performance trap, and I don't think I'm the only one. Another lie the culture tells us is I am what I have. So often we define our things by worth. We get a nice car. We put on our expensive shades. They're like, look at me. I'm balling. I'm not telling you I'm financed on this for 72 months. I'm upside down. If I try to sell it, I'm messed up. But, but you know what? There's a nice seat, uh, seat warmer here and it keeps my butt warm and that's what matters, right? <laughs> we allow things to define us. Have you seen the car I drive? The vacations I go on? Do you even see the neighborhood we live in? And another lie the culture tells us is I am what others think about me. So many times we spend our lives trying to impress others more than God. Remember this, you're not what you did, you're not what you have, and you're not what people think of you. You are who God says about you. This is what made John great. They asked him, are you the Messiah? I'm not. Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you a prophet? I'm not. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what the culture tells you to do. It matters what Christ and his word say about you. Let me show you. This is what John said in verse 23. I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And circle, underline this. As the prophet Isaiah said. See, his identity was in the word of God. I know you're trying to say this about me. I know you're trying to make me into that. But guess what? I am who God says it about me. Uh, My identity is centered in Christ and his word. So powerful. That's foundational in being everything we need to be. Because this leads you, if you do this, to live a life of humility. Notice the second thing that made him great. It's Christ-centered humility. Notice this. I'm going to teach you about humility. Humility doesn't say, oh, I don't have any gifts. I don't have a purpose. I'm not really that special. No. He states his purpose clearly. I'm a voice. This is why I'm here. I'm saying make straight the way of the Lord. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Humility is not thinking of yourself, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. The root word for humility is to know your place. Humility says that's not my place. And don't we get in trouble because we try to walk in in arenas and platforms and places that God never destined for us to walk in? Some of you have aspired to positions that God has not destined for you. The word of God would be, be humble. Know your place. Others of you, God wants to use you in a more significant way. But you're so concerned about yourself, you're still, still pride. What are others going to think about me? What am I going to do? I don't have the gifts. I'm going just consume. Will it take away my family time? See, both Jesus and John were humble. Both displayed humility in different ways. For some of us, humility would be behind the scenes preparing it for somebody else. And for some of us, humility will be in the spotlight. But whatever that humility task God has for us, we got to find out what God's plan for our life is. See, God works through humility. But God resists proud people. The early church father, Augustine, said this, that pride is the sin that gives birth to every other sin. It's pregnant with every other sin. It was pride that turned angels into demons. Pride puts Satan in a place, in an attitude that he wanted to be exalted and worshiped by God. Yet humility caused the word to become flesh and dwell among us. Jesus, the creator, gave up the glory of heaven to serve creation. See, Jesus modeled humility. Satan lived in pride. Pride puts me first, my will, my agenda, my plans. Humility puts Jesus first, his will, his agenda, his plans. And we see that John knew his place. He knew exactly what God had for him. That's why you got to have a Christ-centered identity. Because if you don't know who you are, you can never walk in humility. You'll always try to get out of your lane. It's kind of like when I'm driving home, man, I'm... ADD and I got to entertain myself, especially when I go back home to New Mexico. It's a 12-hour drive. So I'm always racing somebody and they don't know I'm racing them. How many guys do that too? I just passed you, okay? New race. And sometimes, every once in a while, there's somebody that tries to race you back. How I many of you guys have ever done that? <laughs> am I the only one or am I the only one? Raise your hand if this has happened to you. You're racing somebody and then they're racing you back. And sometimes you're in that lane and you're like trying to keep up with somebody and you like get a ticket because you're not supposed to. so many of us are trying to keep up with people that God didn't want us to keep up with. Our focus, our goal should be on Jesus. See, because when you have a Christ-centered humility, it leads you to a a Christ-centered servanthood. Look at the statement John makes in verse 27. I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. And He says in the blessed part, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. See, those of you that have students that have gone older, one of the things that you do when they get older is you go through colleges and you pick their college and it's an exciting process and you want to go to this college, what are the opportunities here? But back in those days, you didn't pick a school, you picked a teacher. And a teacher would choose you and, you, and the reason you would, man, thank the Lord, some of you guys are paying tuition, you don't have to pay tuition, but you're, if you you're chosen by that student, you would become a servant to that teacher for the investment that they made in your life. And John is saying something so profound we cannot miss this here. He says, I'm not worthy to untie this man's sandals. Servants would help with tasks around the house but only slaves would wash feet. And a Jew would never wash another Jew's feet. Never. Even if, were, even, if a, even if you were a student, you would never drop down to the place of a slave because only slaves would wash. It was the lowest of the lowest of jobs. And and you cry because you have to deal with feet. How many of you guys are feet people? You like feet? It's just, no, I'm not a feet person. <laughs> My daughter showed me on TikTok, like, there's this whole thing where people are taking pictures of feet and there's feet models. It's like, there's this, it's disgusting, everything. <laughs> but, but in those days, it was even worse than feet, than feet are now because sandals were worn without socks. See, I spent an entire summer in India planning church when I graduated college. In India, it was like it was in Jesus' day. Everybody wore, wore sandals, and they would take off their shoes, and they would enter into somebody's house. And I saw the grossest feet in India. See, uh, let me tell you why. In India, just like during Jesus' time, people share the roads with cows and camels and elephants. And when I was there, I noticed that animals don't care where they poop. And here's what I also noticed. People don't care where they step. So on the feet were all kinds of matter, we'll call it, that you can not even to explain. And you have to wash those feet. And slaves had to wash those feet. But notice what John is saying. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 27. It's easy to miss. It says, Jesus is so great, I'm not even good enough to be Jesus' slave, let alone his student. I'm not worthy to untie this man's sandal. The lowest job of the lowest job. I am not worthy of that. But John, because John understood this. It's not the greatness of the act, but the greatness of the one I serve that makes that act great. See, let me tell you something that hopefully changes your life. I know it hit me like a ton of bricks. The Lord spoke this to me. You don't have to do great things. Anything you do for Jesus is great because Jesus is great. What's interesting about the life of John is this. You read his life, he never performed a single miracle. He didn't write a single book in the Bible. Towards the end of his life, the crowd had diminished and followed Jesus, yet he was the goat according to Jesus. See, we tend to think that greatness is in what we do. But the greatness is not in what we do. The greatness is in who you do it for. If you do dishes for Jesus, it's great. If you're raising a child for Jesus, that's great. If you pray for others for Jesus, if you serve others for Jesus, if you greet others for Jesus, if you teach kids for Jesus, it's great. That's great. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of us, that's great. We got to reframe the greatness. Look at John. John's greatness was not in the accomplishment or the things that he did. It's that his heart was totally sold out to the one that is greatest of all, the great I am. And whatever you put me on, Lord, that's what I'll do. In an American culture that's all about climbing the corporate ladder, this is hard for us to grasp. And I, I, one of the things that I'm absolutely convinced is, I am absolutely convinced that when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked by who's the greatest in, heaven, in the kingdom. Jesus says, whoever is the least is going to be the greatest. And let me tell you, it's not going to be the celebrity Christians that we celebrate on this earth. It's going to be the praying lady that's seeking God for her church. And it's popping up that pastor that nobody else sees. It's going to be the person who raised their special needs child with so much love and care all their life. It's going to be the person who faithfully loved and served a difficult spouse till they came to faith in Jesus. It's going to be that Sunday school teacher that poured into the kids worker, the youth worker that raised up that great leader. I believe in our day that God is trying to get us to look beyond a superficial stage and embrace sincere servanthood. And in the last several years, our celebrity Christian heroes have taken a downfall. In the last several months, some of the scandals that have come out in American Christianity, it's been heartbreaking, it's been gut-wrenching. Let me tell you, some of my heroes, some people that I looked up to, some of the books that I recommended to people, some of these leaders looked like they were living a double life. And man, I've had to process some of these things. It's been difficult. But I want to remind you, just like John, to fix your eyes on the Messiah and never put it on any minister. There's only one who is worthy of glory and honor. John the Baptist said, there's only one Messiah. There's only one Savior. There's only one God and King, and I am not him. And my job and every other minister's job is to put the attention on Jesus and not myself. And let me tell you, if the attention ever gets on this church, if the attention ever gets on me, remind me that, man, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about his glory. We are just a voice. We are just a servant. We are just a tool. But there is only one King and Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as celebrity Christians, only sincere servants. And the path to greatness is filled with humility and service. So when you walk like this, it leads you to one thing, a Christ-centered mission. See, John's mission was clear. He says, I'm just a voice saying, make straight the way of the Lord. And here was his message. It was gospel-centered. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't think there's ever been a more powerful words ever uttered you know I heard a story of Charles Spurgeon who was one of the greatest uh, preachers to ever they call him the prince of preachers they were talking about him going to be a special speaker in an auditorium That night, and he was chesting out the acoustics. He had a famed voice, a booming voice that everybody would come in here. He didn't need a microphone to speak to thousands. It was said, it was written about. And one day, he's getting ready to preach. He's checking the acoustics of the building, and he's just sharing this. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said it to the right. He said it to the middle, and he said it to the left. And it said that there was a repairman that was working some repairs on the church in the dark that heard those words, and he gave his life to Jesus. That's how powerful this statement is. See, this concept of the Lamb of God was deeply woven into the minds of the Jews since the Exodus. God told the Jews to put the blood of the Lamb on a doorpost so the death angel would pass over and not kill the firstborn son. And each year for Yom Kippur, they would offer a Lamb for the sins of the people, but it was only a temporary fix. Every year they needed to offer a new Lamb, but yet the words of John here are very pointed. It's that Jesus, the Lamb of God, puts the sins of the world on His shoulders and takes them away forever. Not just for a year. Not just for a season. It was a revolutionary statement because He's letting Israel know man, behold the Lamb of God that doesn't just take away the sins of Israel, but He's for the world. Every person matters to God. This message is big. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And because of His death, burial, and resurrection, we can have new life. Are you saying, Benito, are you trying to convert me? Yes, I am. Because Jesus is awesome he's incredible such no more powerful word spoken that was the message of john gospel centered john's message and mission was christ-centered but i want you to see how oh, he accomplished his mission according to luke 115 he was filled with the spirit since his mother's womb not only he was gospel not only was he gospel centered but he was spirit filled He was full of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you what we learned from John. You can't be full of the Spirit when you're full of yourself at the same time. And when you walk in humility, it makes room for the Holy Spirit's power to move in your life. And more than ever before, we need the Holy Spirit. Because if you read the Bible, it tells you to do things that you can't do and be a person that you can't be on your own. what makes christianity so different that we cannot do this on our own this is not rules and regulations but Jesus comes and infills us with his Holy Spirit and he empowers us to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Let me tell you, more than ever before in a time, let me tell you, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a parent, you need the Holy Spirit's power. You need his gifts of the Spirit operation. You need a word of wisdom for your kid. You're like, oh, Lord, I need to check their phone. Lord, I need to pray for them. You, man, you need the Holy Spirit a parent in this day. You need the Holy Spirit at work. You need the Holy Spirit at home. You can't do it by yourself. That's why Acts 1.8 says, well, you shall receive power and you will be wi- when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses just like John in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the same message and the same mission that John the Baptist has, he's given every believer to be a witness, to be a voice, to be a carer, carrier of Jesus. See, John's life is not a life to be admire, admired. But it's a life to be experienced by the Holy Spirit's power. We are called to be a voice to our city. We're called to be a voice to our family. We're called to be a voice to our neighbor. And I want God to carry the message of Jesus everywhere we go. Your voice. But How do we live that way? Christ-centered identity. Christ-centered humility. Christ-centered servanthood. And be focused on a Christ-centered mission. I'm excited for what God's doing here at Freedom Church. Man, he's made a way. He's done impossible things. He spoke to us that he is going to build this church. I believe in a time where there is so much uncertainty, so many challenges, people moving from all over to our city, that God is getting ready to build a church in the midst of a pandemic. And, man, we get a chance to be part of that. And here's what I want to do. I want you to challenge you in three ways to be a part of it. I want you to pray. I want you to serve. And I want you to give. You've heard the need. God has done amazing things. Now we're just $300,000 short. How many of you guys believe God can do that by the end of the year? He's done it before. He'll do it again. And here's the thing. I'm asking you to be a part of that. Man, I'm asking you to ask the Lord. Maybe this week or next week, over the next several weeks, I want you to pray about, Lord, what do you want me to give? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to pray? There is a pledge card right there. So between now to the end of 2021, we're believing by, depends, I'm not going to put any timeline on it. We're looking at that. But I'm believing by the end of the year, we will have that church built. You've seen what God has done. You've seen how he's done amazing things. But we have to believe the Lord and trust him. Okay, God, you were there when we had nothing. remember a couple years ago when we just had $1,500 in the bank? Remember that? And now look what the Lord has done. He is amazing. He is incredible. And we get to be a part of the miracle that he is doing. And I want you to be a part of that. I want you to pray about giving, maybe whatever it might be, whatever God puts on your heart. Don't get out of your lane. Just do what he wants you to do. Here's what I would say. Don't give anything more or anything less than what God wants you to give. Just give what he wants you to give. Serve where he wants you to serve. Pray where he wants you to pray. So can we bow our head and close our eyes and say, Jesus, I want to be great. For some of you this morning, he's redirecting your attention. During this pandemic, you've gotten distracted. And your focus is me, 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 me. And God says, no, I want you to refocus, make it about me. Every decision you make, everything you do. The way you raise your kids, the way you spend your money, the way you use your time. God wants it to be great. He wants it to be invested in things that matter, in people, in the church. So you say, Lord, right now he's speaking to you, Lord, show me where I have a misplaced identity. Maybe I think I am what I have. I think I am what I've accomplished. I think I am, Lord. People think about me, or whatever it is. Lord, next prayer says, "Lord, show me, show me your place. Where do you have me? I don't want to do anything out of need or opportunity, but only out of the will of God. What's your will for me during this time?" And then, Lord, show me the service. What's the service you want me to do, God? Anything I do for you, let me let me tell you, it's not in the greatness of the act, but the one greatness, and the, it's the greatness and the who the act is towards. We gotta re put our mind around it. Everything we do for God is great. If we do it with a sincere heart. And Lord, help me to be everything you want me to be. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of John the Baptist. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that makes your word alive. And it wants us to be great in the kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'd use your people. And Lord, even right now, Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, he's realigning right now. He's speaking to you about plans. He's speaking to you about some of the things that you're thinking about of Building his kingdom instead of yours. He's saying, man, for some of you, you know what? For so long, like me, you've had this idea. I am what I accomplish. 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 And God says, no, you are who I say you are. Man, stay in the lane that I have for you. You don't have to strive. I love you because I love you. Whatever God is speaking to you, let it just deep. Let it just seep into your heart. Amen. Freedom Church, I love you. So thankful next week. We're continuing the last part of of John 1. We're going to read how Jesus calls his disciples. Check that out. We're going to read that next week. We love you, and you have a great week. Man, so excited what God is doing. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe
1: and share with others.